Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for everything that you're doing for Jesus in our city. Uh, we really appreciate every one of you. I think um, for us to get the job done, it's going to take every church, every leader, every bottle of water. Uh, it's going to take every person to do their part. And so I truly mean it. We love the city, but we're also grateful to you and for what you're doing for Jesus in the region and the area that you are, you are doing it in. Um, like Stan said, I'm Renault's husband. Um, that's what I'm famous for. And it's a real pleasure for us just to share with you tonight. We want to look at some scripture. And I want to speak tonight just a little bit about following Jesus, but keeping on following Jesus. I think it's key that we continue to do that, and I don't think it comes automatically. And so, Lord, we thank you for everything that you've done already tonight. We ask you, Lord, just for these next few moments that you would give us the, the openness of heart, the concentration, but mostly the spiritual ears to hear what it is that you are saying to the churches. What a privilege to lead. What a privilege to follow Jesus. You are a leader, Lord, and you call us to follow you as you lead us. Tonight, I pray, Lord, would you open our ears to hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the key scriptures that stuck out for me over just the last season as I've watched uh, in my own life the potential to get uh, uh, what I call stuck. Uh, someone once shared a prophetic word here, I think, the last time about this river that's kind of flowing, but these little eddies on the side of the river where you're right next to this, this flow of life, but you're kind of just circling around there and not in the flood. And I, I, I feel tonight that God wants to nudge some of us as leaders just back into that flow, back into moving forward, back into making progress. And the scripture that stood out for me is 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked, or as Jesus did. And I love the word that's being used here because it is walk. It is not necessarily preach like Jesus preached, or minister like Jesus ministered, or pray like Jesus prayed. It's to walk like Jesus walked. And I love that word because walking is what you do from the car to the office. It's what you do when you pick up the kids. It's what you do to when you go and make coffee in the kitchen, as we can hear. Walking is what you do in between ministry. And I think a lot of leaders get stuck not in ministry, but in the walking of your own life. And so for me, I've been challenged by this. I, I'm so amazed that God would send Jesus to give us an example of how to walk for 33 years. And even before the three years of ministry, God was pleased with the way that he walked. And so for me, my life, I, 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 I'm really trusting that um, in the times when I feel like I'm getting stuck, that God would help me to, to keep going. One of the things Jesus did so well is handle pressure. And if we talk about longevity in leadership, if we talk about being there for the long run, I think as leaders we have to learn how to finish the work God gives us to do and not get caught up in the things that will distract us. And so one of the occasions that stuck out for me really in Jesus' life is Luke chapter 4. And we're going to look at that story. I'm going to make a couple of points. You're good still, right? You're going to make it. Uh, one of the opportunities where I think there was great potential for Jesus to get stuck. Now, you've got to imagine he's the son of God, but he's also the son of man. There's a lot of things going on on earth. 
He's got 33 years. There's a lot of things for him to get caught up in. He's got family things. He's got logistics. He's got all the things you and I have, but yet he finished uh, um, the work that God gave him, and he continued to walk. And here in Luke chapter 4, verse 29, there's this amazing scripture, and we'll look at the story just now, but it says that jumping up, they mobbed him. How's that? Flash mob. Mobbed him, and they forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built, and they intended to push him over the cliff. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I love that scripture. This is one of those classic stories where Jesus goes from absolute hero to absolute zero in less than 30 seconds. One moment everybody was praising him, everybody was happy with him, and the next moment they're ready to push him off a cliff. And that never happens in leadership, right? But it happened this time with Jesus. And what I love is his response might seem very simple, but if you understand the story, this is actually a very profound thing that Jesus did because he wasn't drawn into certain things. He, he, he had the courage to carry on going, and he, he had the direction to know which way to go, and also he had the freedom to leave certain things seemingly unresolved. And then um, if, you, if you look at the, the, um, the, the parallel reading in Mark chapter 6, you read those, it's the same story, you see that actually if my thoughts were that there is absolutely no circumstance here on earth, there's no situation that could in any way, no spiritual environment that could affect Jesus' ministry, surely not. Surely if he's the son of God, then surely there's no spiritual environment that can, that, that can influence the way he ministers and how much power he has, etc., etc. And yet in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, we read that because of their unbelief, he could not do many miracles among them except place his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. It seems like Jesus was a bit frustrated. And I don't think the spiritual climate impacted his ability as the Son of God, but somehow he went from a place of many miracles to few miracles. And I know the books are written the other way, right? How to go from few miracles to many miracles. But it's amazing that as you follow Jesus, there are times when we're confronted with this pressure. And um, I don't know how your, your last little season's been, but for me, there's been some pretty high highs. There are moments where I feel like I can do this. This is easy. People see the hand of God on you, and you feel like I can take on the world. And then you keep doing the same thing you did last week, exactly the same thing. And yet suddenly there's this enough anger. You know, these guys weren't just saying like, hey, we don't like what you say. They're like, come, we're pushing you off here. <clears throat> Something happened. And suddenly you can feel like this low, low. And I think what's so emotionally draining for leaders is the breakneck speed at, at which this happens. Boom, boom. And what I love here is if anyone claims to be in God, we need to learn how to walk as Jesus walked. We need to learn how to deal with these kind of pressures, and we need to understand where some of the pressure comes from, because not all of it is external. Some of it is actually internal. Are you good? 
there's no one good except anyway. I'm not going to quote scriptures to pastors, right? Uh, excuse my voice. This is from Lesotho last week. And so, um, <clears throat> this is most, one of the most profound scriptures I've read in the New Testament is in verse 23. I think Jesus felt the pressure so much that he actually says in verse 23, he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Isn't that interesting that they didn't quote the proverb? But Jesus felt he should explain why there's not miracles happening here. Can you see the pressure he was under? You go from a place of many miracles to a place of few miracles, and so much so that Jesus himself felt like, <clears throat> let me just explain. I'm sure you're going to say this, uh, a physician, heal yourself. In other words, do the same miracles you did in Capernaum. Do, they, do them here. Strange that Jesus would verbalize that, which meant he felt pressure. I don't, I, I think... What I love about this response of Jesus is just to pass right through the crowds and go on the way that God's called you to do. I think that God doesn't want us to do ministry from a place where we're constantly under pressure from people, from the environment, from everything else, because we need to follow Him and get on the way that He's got for us to be able to get to where He wants us to get. Does that make sense? And as leaders, in our personal walk with Jesus, we have to keep following Jesus every day. It's an intentional thing. Because the places God has called us to minister into sometimes change. Let me tell you, there are, there are things in our city that change. And God's calling you to walk into certain areas and regions where there might be an impact on, on our ministry from time to time. How we walk with Jesus is absolutely important. So let's read the story. It's funny because Jesus had just come from this high, high. He just nailed his temptation. He just got it 100%. He was filled with the power of the Spirit. And then suddenly this happened. But what I love about Jesus is it doesn't throw him. Um, someone said we need to listen to the voice of the Father and keep going on the way that the Father calls us to go. And so let's read the story, Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Can you say everyone? That would have included the guys who now wanted to push him off the, off the cliff. <clears throat> when they came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood town, town, he went as usual into the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. And you, you know, he read Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I don't think that's so offensive. Um, in verse 22, it says, Everybody spoke well of him and was amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, he asked, isn't this Joseph's son? Now, if you read in Mark chapter 2, because I was interested, how did they get so angry? Hey, sometimes hard to understand. How can they go from being so kind and so nice and praising to suddenly being angry enough to say, hey, get, get off the cliff? Mark chapter 6 verse 2, it says, The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. And they said, Where did he get this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? 
And here we see something happening with the people in that place. They started scoffing at him and saying, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. His sisters live right here among us, and they were deeply offended, and they refused to believe in him. It's an amazing thing. When you have to talk down to someone, it's because it want, you want to feel better about it, and yet in that insecure place, they became so offended that they couldn't have faith. And we read the story again. I want to read this and then just make a couple of points and we're done. Verse 23, back in Luke. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Here's Jesus under pressure. Physician, heal yourself, meaning do the miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, that the truth that no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he quotes some Old Testament scriptures to kind of help him understand what he's going through, and how to deal with the pressure. And he says, There were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zaphra in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elijah, but only one was healed. And that was Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue was furious and they jumped up. And so there's some things here that I think um, can help us. You know, we're called to minister in a culture right now where um, people move so quickly between their approval and disapproval of people. The mob on the internet, we live in a cancel culture where people can immediately just impact decide what they want to do, and I think as followers of Jesus, often we're under this pressure, physician, heal yourself, and so we've got to look at some of these things. How does it start? Number one, it starts by Jesus going to Nazareth. Now, to be honest, if I was Jesus and knew what was going to happen there, why not just go around Nazareth? Why avoid ministry that's going to bring up your childhood why go and do ministry that's going to put pressure on you in terms of your performance? Why go and do ministry in a place where people, are, you know that their opinion of you is going to change? Well, I think it's Jesus puts us in these places so that we can begin to bring the kingdom of God into those areas. You and I minister in a, in a, in a country called South Africa and in South Africa, we minister in a province called KZN, and in that province, we minister in a city called Durban. That has an impact on us. If we deny that, um, we'll never allow the kingdom of God to come into it. The place, Nazareth, represents a place. And it's a place where Jesus grew up. We don't read much about Nazareth except that guy from Nathaniel. Remember what Nathaniel said? No, Nathaniel in the Bible, he said, how can anything good come from Nazareth? So I don't know what was wrong with Nazareth, but what I know is Nazareth had a complex about their social status because the first thing they said to Jesus is, you're just a carpenter. 
That's all you are. I want to class you. I want to put you in, in some, I want to put you, you're just like us. And I think as followers of Jesus, often we minister to a world who, say, who, who says to us, you're just like us. There's nothing different about you. What qualifies you to come and do ministry here? But our status, you see how you can get stuck, is if you succumb to that. And if Jesus somehow begins to try and prove that now he's not just a carpenter, because once you go there, you'll be stuck, forever trying to prove you're not that. And I think for leaders internally, if we're doing ministry, trying to prove we're not what others say we are, we will get stuck. Makes sense? Our class is sons and daughters. Highest class of human being you can find. We're not tempted to try and prove anything. Not in our walk with Jesus, neither in our ministry. The second thing I realize about this place is that it's a place that wants to keep you small. You see, the problem is that um, you can imagine Jesus grew up there. And now he's left, and now he's come back with his friends. He's got a new identity. You are my son with whom I'm pleased. He's just passed that. He understands that. Now he comes back here with some of his disciples. And the place doesn't celebrate his growth. They almost feel betrayed by his growth. And he could avoid that place, but he goes to that place because Jesus doesn't live in denial. And he goes there and he says, I'm, I'm not going to get stuck here. You doing all right? People of Nazareth, I, I don't have a problem with small. But we can't be small in our thinking because we're part of the kingdom of God. And so at some point, there's going to come pressure on us from the culture that we live in and the place that we minister into. And we better be secure in our identity. Otherwise, we'll get caught in that place and we'll be stuck there forever trying to prove we're not carpenters. If you're a carpenter, God bless you. The second thing for me that Nazareth represents is the past. And I just want to say to you, However amazing the churches that you lead, however amazing your gift and your ministry is, we're all part of a family, and we all have a past. And for Jesus, his family wasn't perfect, you know. I grew up in a small town, and everybody knew everybody. And so they would have remembered Jesus as the boy who got lost in the city, whose parents left him for three days. You know what I mean? There's a bit of history here. And so they begin to pick on his brothers and his sisters and his mothers. And, 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 and the place not only wants to keep us small, get us to prove ourselves, but the place sometimes brings up our past. And that's why Jesus doesn't live in denial. He walks right into it. I love it. It's amazing. He's so secure, Jesus. I realize that when he leads me to minister into a place like this, that there are some things that he wants me to grow in. And so 
there's a couple of things I know about your past. So let me just say them. Like for Stan, no, I'm not going to say anything. Isaiah 25 verse 7 says, Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Isaiah 54 verse 4, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid. There's no more disgrace. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. There are sins, there is shame, and there is sorrow. And every now and then as we follow Jesus, our past comes up. What we've got to understand is that the cross of Jesus Christ deals with my sins, deals with my shame, deals with my sorrows. If it's not dealt with, then I will remain in this place, Nazareth. Keep trying to prove my identity in my ministry. Honestly, it's like Mark said, we can't preach Jesus if we're not living Jesus can't ask people to follow Jesus if we're not walking every day following Jesus. In a place like that, there is a great possibility for offense. And when offense comes, unbelief comes. And when unbelief comes, ineffectiveness comes. The temptation is to try and stay. I mean, if I was Jesus, honestly, I was just like, I'll show them we can do miracles here. And we're not leaving till I show you we can do them. Jesus, I don't know. Sometimes I think there's a mob in my own head. If I stand still, that mob will push me to a cliff. If I sit down, I'll just be a victim of the mob. Sometimes it takes courage, direction, clarity, and liberty to say, I'm not here to prove that. I'm going on the way that God's called me to. And sometimes you walk right opposite to the direction of the voices are coming. The third thing, and I'm coming in for a landing. Yeah. The third thing, so Naz- Nazareth represents a place. All of this started because Jesus went to Nazareth. I would have just gone around, but there we go. He faces up to it. He understands he has a past. He understands the place, and yet he still follows the voice of God. But don't get stuck there. The third thing Nazareth represents is a pressure to have it all together all the time. And like I said, even Jesus felt that pressure. And so what a high priest. He knows exactly how I feel sometimes. You know what's the accusation here is? You're a fraud if you don't have everything together all the time. Your kids, your finances, your church, your leaders, your elders, your everything. If you don't have it all together, you're, you're, you just stay there till you have it all together. And Jesus says, I'm going to keep walking. And so he, he says, I'm sure you're going to quote this proverb. Now, I'm not a prophet tonight, but I'm guessing that even if you've got Victory in most areas, there's one area you don't, at least. Your children, your family, your finances, your health, your, I, I, I'm guessing. And I, my heart is, for us as leaders, we need every single church, every leader, to keep following Jesus every day for us to get the job done. I, I feel like God's saying, I don't want you to get stuck. 
And tonight, maybe you just need the courage to understand, you know, not here to prove anything. So, how's this proverb? Physician, heal yourself. It's kind of true. I wouldn't trust a doctor telling me to take something if they don't take it themselves. So, in some ways, we do need victory. But I love the way Jesus handles this. And there are three reasons I can find why the proverb's not always true. Number one, other people's unbelief. And I just showed you that even Jesus, the Son of God, his ability to perform miracles was impacted by people's unbelief. That's good enough for me in terms of theology. The second thing is God is sovereign. In other words, Out of all the widows, one widow had a breakthrough. And just because Elijah didn't bring a breakthrough to every widow didn't mean he's not a legitimate prophet. And sometimes as leaders, I think we get stuck because we, we, we so much feel if I can't solve every single problem, I'm not authentic. There's some theology that can help us here. And sometimes God picks the ones we don't pick. He picked the foreigners. And so if God is sovereign, I can't demand. We should trust God for miracles. God does amazing things. He buys lychee orchards. Honestly, God raises the dead. I have no doubt about it in my mind. Man who just lost his wife said to me last week, does God really raise the dead? God really raises the dead. I believe it with all my heart. But I can't demand and I can't insist because God is sovereign. And the fact that God doesn't do a miracle every time, all the time, and I don't have everything together all the time is no reason for me to stop and to stay here until I can prove I can do it before I follow what Jesus has called me to do. And the third reason why the proverb is not 100% true is because sometimes God is doing something way bigger than we understand. This was training for Jesus. You, you know that? This was training. There would be an occasion on the cross in Matthew 27 when people walked by, shouted abuse. Same mob shouting abuse. You know what they said to him? They said, well, then if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. And the leading priests and the teachers and religious laws and elders mocked Jesus. He saved others, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israelism, is he? Let he come down from the cross right now and we'll believe him. If Jesus got down from the cross at that point, he would have been outside of the will of God. And so very, just after the temptation, chapter 4, Holy Spirit, power, there's this test. Will you follow me all the way or will you stay and try and prove it because I'm preparing you for something bigger, salvation for the whole world? And so you just have to learn, my boy, sometimes you have to just move on. Because if you get stuck there, it's a problem. Amen? Leaders are under pressure. Some of it's external. Some of it's internal. 
Our job is to follow Jesus and walk in the same footsteps he walked. So praise God for Jesus and the example. That's Nazareth. Jesus walks out of Nazareth. It's amazing. You must walk as Jesus walked. You know what he did with that crowd? He just walked. <laughs> just walked. Where did he go to? Well, he went to Capernaum. Look at verse 31 of Luke. He moves to a place of massive breakthrough. In verse 40, it says, uh, there, you know, when the sun went down, people brought, throughout the village, they brought sick people and family members. No matter what diseases they were, at the touch of his hand, everyone was healed. One place, no miracles. The other place, just that. I'm glad. He sets the example for us. I want to live in this place. But here's the thing. You can even get stuck there. And so in verse 42, early the next morning, you know the story. Jesus prays. And the crowd searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. I've never had that. Maybe Stan had that. Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns also, because that's why I was sent. We can get stuck in Nazareth. We can get stuck in Capernaum. The, the message for me is just whatever's going on in your life, don't get caught up with the things that have nothing to do with eternity. Will you follow Jesus back into the flow? Back into the plan? Back into what He's called you to? Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who set their hearts on pilgrimage. I'm not sure where you're stuck. Sometimes for me, I get stuck, and this helps me. I look at Jesus and I say, Lord, give me courage. Give me clarity. And give me liberty to walk away from the things that sometimes I and others want me to prove so that I can continue counting for you and finish the work you've given me to do. Amen.